Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, this week's interview is with Timbo Reed. He's the godfather of helpful marketing. He's the host of the 13-year-old award-winning small business big marketing podcast. He's a sensational keynote speaker and a conference MC, and he's also an author of one of my favorite books, Kevin, The Boomerang Effect. He's also a huge inspiration for our 5Bs framework. He sure is. And I do know you love that book, George. We talk about it a lot uh, here on the podcast and in person. It was pretty surreal for us to have him on the podcast, particularly you, George. I'm very happy you had that chance to talk to him. Listeners, you can hear the excitement in George's voice. But yeah, we're very grateful to have this opportunity to meet one of our heroes in marketing. And aside from George fangirling during most of the conversation, we also got a few pieces of marketing gold from Timbo, as he would say. The first is B2B marketing is more like P2P, people to people. And related to that, Kev, he said, make sure you understand that person and what problems they have and then go about solving them. Another point that he made that we love to harp on about as well is that helpful marketing actually positions you as the opinion leader in your industry, as that expert in your industry. And Kev, something that he said, which I think has been very true for us, is that having that helpful mindset actually makes business more enjoyable. As I said, Kevin, dad wanted a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but at least what we do still helps people. (laughs) That's it. We're both here helping people, hopefully. 
And once you start, Timbo says it's hard to stop. And I think it's very true from our experience as well. It's very hard to stop once you're on that train of helping people. It's definitely a cycle that feeds itself. And finally, Kev, one other point that I really love that he made was focus on quality over quantity when you start, because otherwise, if you're just going at quantity, it's going to become very overwhelming. This is a long game. You need to make it sustainable and you need to commit to it. All right, Kev, listeners, we hope you enjoy this conversation with none other than Timbo Reid. Welcome back to the Better Be Playbook. Listeners, as you know, we rarely have guests on our show. Instead, we select a few true experts who align with our view that B2B marketing is more about people, not platforms. Today, our special guest is my favorite marketer of all time, Tim Reed. Now, Tim is a huge inspiration behind what we do here at the B2B Playbook and is the godfather of helpful marketing. He's the host of the 13-year-old award-winning small business big marketing podcast, which is my favorite marketing podcast, by the way, and is a sensational keynote speaker and conference MC. He's the author of the book, The Boomerang Effect, Why Being Helpful in Your Marketing Returns More Customers and Makes You More Money, which is an awesome read. I've got a signed copy here from Tim from years ago on my desk. Timbo, thank you so much for coming on the show. George, it is absolutely my pleasure and thank you for calling me the godfather and not the grandfather (laughs) of small business marketing because that would make me feel significantly old. (laughs) that's it you can be a young godfather and timbo i mean it on my bookshelf behind me i've got joe polizzi i've got seth godin i've got so many marketing greats and the boomerang effect sits there for me and you're a huge inspiration for so much well done to you man you're 70 podcasts 70 episodes later most people fall off at six so i think it's awesome good on you for doing what you're doing and the whole b2b world needs a bit of marketing love i like to refer to it as p2p people to people because it doesn't matter what you're dealing with who you're dealing with at the end of the day they're humans that's been our experience too timbo and i think that's why in our own framework we've actually adopted so much of your helpful marketing mindset so for a little bit more context my business partner and i kevin we were really struggling when we got into the b2b world to apply some of the b2c concepts and once we stripped it back, I think we realized that it was fundamentally so much about humans and relationships. And the things that you always tried to do with big businesses at scale at B2C didn't necessarily really work in B2B. Mm-hmm. So once we tested and tried all the different things out there, we ended up coming up with a bit of a playbook. And we realized that there's really five major stages to our playbook. And the second stage is what we call be helpful. And so much of that is founded on a helpful marketing mindset and timbo maybe a great place for us to start is actually a quote from your book the boomerang effect i've got it here so you said when you are helpful good things happen it's my woo-woo theory in action it's the way the world goes around timbo what does it mean to be helpful in your marketing and why does it work I suppose the first point to start with, George, is just instead of listen to this as a human, what I'm about to say as a human, not as a business owner or marketer or employee of a business, and reflect on the last time you were helpful and reflect on the last time you were helped. And it feels good. It just does. It's like that's what part of it's part of the human experience. So I call it woo-woo. It's not really woo-woo. It's just human. And I think we forget about that sometimes in marketing. So the idea of being helpful in your marketing 
recognizes that there are two forms of marketing. Neither are right, neither are wrong. There's push marketing and there is pull marketing. And push marketing is like advertising, direct mail, letterbox drops, sponsorship, where you, because of the limited amount of time or space that you have, you push a message onto an unsuspecting target audience, as us marketers like to call them. And that's cool. <laughs> But you've got to find a lot of money because it's an expensive option. And the other, the opposite of that is pool marketing, where you are so helpful because you've identified the major problems your customers have or your prospects have. And in your marketing, you go about solving those problems, helping them make a more informed purchase decision, often in your favor. And push marketing, helpful marketing can take the form of content, blogs, YouTube channels, podcasts, eBooks, social media. It can be even the copy that appears in ads can be more helpful than salesy. To me, it just makes perfect sense. And I grew up in a big advertising agency in the world of push marketing. So I've seen both sides. My business partner and I, we started off in agency land as well. We were on the B2C side, you know, spending 20, $30 million a year, mostly in Google ads. And I got to tell you, Timbo, we thought we were absolute rock stars when it came to marketing because we thought you put a dollar in, you get a dollar fifty out. How good is this? You can scale to infinity, and then boy, oh boy, did I realize that I knew nothing about marketing. <laughs> once well, it's, I not left. Bad, it's not bad being able to put a dollar in and getting a dollar fifty out. And please continue to do that for anyone who is doing that type of marketing. It's just that there's other areas as well to explore. It's, if marketing's a pie, then there are a lot of there are a lot of slices. And as small business owners, in terms of your audience, are we talking small, George, or are we talking medium? Is there a kind of sweet yeah, spot? They're, yeah, small to medium B2B. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, budgets are important. Budgets are tight. And one of the great things about helpful marketing, too, is that it doesn't actually have to cost a whole lot of dough. Yeah, yeah. And that was really the biggest thing as we started dealing with clients who didn't really have the budget. And we realized as well that those that did have the big budget, the only reason we could get a dollar fifty out when we put a dollar in was because they'd already spent so much on brand and creating demand for that product, and really all we were, we were doing was closing that demand yeah, with yeah. things like Google Ads. Yep, good observation, Timbo. When it comes to helpful marketing, do you remember when you had your own light bulb moment about the power of helpful marketing? I actually read a book by Jay Bayer, who or Bear, always B A E R. He's a recent guest on my podcast, and he is I love him. I love his view on marketing, his take on marketing. He wrote a book called Utility, Y O U, Utility, <clears throat> and he didn't actually mention the word helpful, but it was just a way of actually being helpful in your marketing. And he just gave example after example of businesses that were solution-based. That's what they were. They'd gone to the trouble of really deeply understanding who they're selling to. And when I say that, so often businesses don't spend a lot of time identifying who their ideal client is. And if they do, they get it down to a demographic description. Oh, it's a 40 to 55-year-old male working in corporate, earning over 200 grand a year, living in the eastern suburbs, which doesn't actually tell us a whole lot about a person at all. But if you understand them psychographically and sociologically, then what problems do they have that you can solve? What does success look like to them? How do they feel about your industry? Do they know a lot about it? Are they scared of it? Are they fearful? Are they excited? Asking these type of questions, and you're gonna get 
a much richer marketing output because you just you understand that person a lot more. I always draw the analogy, George, of writing a letter to someone, which we never do these days, but it could be an email. <laughs> and if I said to you, write a letter to Mary, you'd be like, don't know what to say, don't know who Mary is. But if I describe Mary to you in a way, in, in answering some of those questions that I just detailed, you're going to write a pretty good letter to Mary. You're going to have her leaning in. She's going to be interested. She's going to feel heard, understood, and no different in writing your marketing copy or planning out your marketing campaign. Understand that person and what problems they have and go about solving them. Yeah, it absolutely starts with really, truly, deeply understanding your customers. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that's something that we really try and emphasize as well is it starts with just deeply understanding who it is that you're trying to serve and not everyone that you're trying to serve because I think I first heard of it on your podcast, Timbo. You want to pick a niche an inch wide and a mile deep. Yes, rather than just trying to be everything to everyone. Otherwise, no one's going to pay attention to you at all. Yeah, never true a word spoken. And you can have a number of niches. It doesn't mean that you're like, okay, this is who we're focusing on and no one else. You can create a number of niches within a business, but at least start with one and nail that. And then, and if you happen to polarise some people in doing that, so be it, because they were never meant to be anyway. I was just reflecting as you were talking on a book. I'm looking at my bookshelf at the moment, George, and it was that fellow who I interviewed. He was Jeff Bezos's right-hand man. In fact, they called him Jeff's shadow. Yep. And he, he'd written a book, Colin someone, he'd written a book called Working Backwards. And it was literally the whole Amazon blueprint in a book. And so many business books, including mine, they could be written on one page, but we don't sell one page. We wouldn't get paid. We have to, <laughs> we have to write thirty or 40,000 words. But the premise uh. of working backwards, and I, by the fact that you're nodding your head, you've probably listened to the episode, it was that start with what the customer wants. Start with what the press release is going to read for this idea, and now let's work backwards and see if it's valid. And starting with the customer and what they want and need is a kind of... Again, this ain't brain surgery, George. And that was a terrific episode. I yeah. did listen to it. I think I've listened to most of them, Timbo, so it's oh, a pretty safe bet. <laughs> hey, I've got, um, a, I've got, this is breaking news, but it won't be by the time this goes out. But tomorrow I have Fleetwood Max manager from 1981 to 1999 coming in for an interview, which makes me laugh oh. because it's like, why on earth would I be wanting to speak to Fleetwood Max manager? Well, I want to talk about the business of music. It's always an angle. That's anyway, unreal. I love that. I love that. And look, while we're on it, listeners, like every episode of Timbo's, even if the title isn't immediately clear, like what is going to be so good about that episode, I promise, like you will learn something from each and every episode. So please tune in. Timbo, we've spoken a little bit about what the be helpful mindset is when it comes to marketing. Can you give us an idea as to what that mindset does for your business, what the downstream effects are of helpful marketing? It positions you as an opinion leader in your industry because you, you're, like, as, as I say, someone has to be the most helpful in your industry. It may as well be you, okay? And so if you adopt the helpful mindset, it's a bit like a moth to a flame. You're going to attract people, particularly the high involvement purchase decisions this stuff rocks for. It doesn't necessarily work if you're selling chocolate bars. You can still be helpful, but... If you have a high involved, if you're selling a high involvement purchase decision, this stuff is gold. And taking that helpful mindset all the way along, 
in your customer service, in your marketing messages, in the way you deliver your product, in every aspect of your business. It positions you as someone who cares, your customer will feel understood. Often, they become less price sensitive because they've gone, geez, this person knows what they're talking about. They understand where I'm coming from and it takes your eye, it takes your eye off the price and all of a sudden you focus on the fact that these guys are really helpful. Being positioned as an opinion leader in your industry isn't a bad thing and we couldn't have said that 10 or 15 years ago where to be an opinion leader, you probably needed to have a regular gig on the Today Show and be the go-to person for that industry when that industry needed a spokesperson and you needed to be in the mass media. It's not the case these days because the marketing landscape's changed so much. And just the fact that we have a smartphone in our pocket, on our person, all day, with a broadcast quality video camera, stills camera, microphone, I mean, we, we can seriously create some very helpful content on the spot without spending a fortune. So having that helpful mindset, George, just makes business, I think it actually makes business more enjoyable. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Oh, look, there's no doubt about it, Timbo. I joke that my dad's a doctor. I think he would have liked a doctor as a son. And I was actually a failed lawyer. So I don't know if that's probably worse. But I like to think that our marketing is so helpful that, look, I'm not out here saving lives, but at least I'm trying to do some good every day and yes. to help people. And we're truly playing the long game here with our business too. And we've only been at it for a couple of years or so. And we've already seen the efforts of being helpful, like come back in spades to us. And that's not the intention with it. It's really nice when it happens, but it's a great way to operate. Oh, that's great news, mate. Keep it up. Timbo, you've been doing it for much, much longer. Can you give us an idea as to how you've implemented this helpful mindset in your own business? My podcast, The Small Business Big Marketing Show, is proof in point. I'm back engineering this story, George, because the way I started The Small Business Big Marketing Show was opportunistic and happy to tell that story, but it won't answer this question. But I had an opportunity to create a podcast back in the day. I didn't even know. No one knew what they were because this is 14 <laughs> years ago. So I did, and I took that opportunity up and created what still exists today. And over the course of time, very well, actually very quickly, I realized that, wow, this is being super helpful to those who are listening. And then that notion, that mindset then started to drive, well, who am I going to get on next week? What topic am I going to cover? So then I'd go out on social media or just talk to my small business owning friends and colleagues and say, what's bothering you? What don't you understand? What would you like more help on? Is there an area of marketing that's really giving you the shits? Can I help you in that? And if they identified that, 
then I go, okay, I'm going to go and make an episode on that. I'm going to find the best person in Australia to talk about that, or in the world, to talk about that topic, and have a conversation, and then put out a piece of content in the form of a podcast episode, and that is helpful marketing right there. And I remember, George, when I had the opportunity to create a podcast, I'd actually discovered podcasting. I discovered this podcast called Killer Innovations, and it was hosted by this fellow, Phil McKinney. He was the vice president of innovation at Hewlett-Packard in the States. And I just found it scooting around the internet like 15 years ago. And I'm like, whoa, here is an individual creating a piece of audio that I can listen to for free as often as I want, wherever I want. This means two things. I can have my own show, and I always wanted to be on radio. <clears throat> That's my hidden... Well, and I have been, but I anyway, back then, I really just wanted to be on radio. And the second part was like, this means that every small business owner has the opportunity to create their own show. And that was when the light went on. It was like, this is amazing. And you create your own show, and you position yourself as an expert, be super helpful in the information you deliver, and that can only be a positive for your business development and growth. I love how that still started with going out and asking your target listeners what it is that they were struggling with first, and then you went and found the expert after. Absolutely. And that's just a classic example of being helpful to any business owner listening or marketer listening. When was the last time you had a genuine, authentic conversation with an existing customer or a lost customer or a dormant customer and just sat down with them over the phone on Zoom, over a coffee, and just asked some hard questions. What don't you like about doing business with us? What could we do better? And that alone is being helpful. And then you take that the next step and you go and you don't have to implement everything a customer says. That would be ridiculous. But if they suggest something where you go, that is an awesome idea, then go and implement it and then go back and tell that customer, hey, you remember you talking over that coffee about how I should do this and this? I've done it. Thank you. Helpful Again, it's just a helpful mindset. And once you're in it, you can't get out of it because you're always looking for ways to solve problems, to make the experience better. Because at the end of the day, I guess we're talking mainly to business owners. We're creating a business. It's our baby. It's our dream. Let's raise it the best we can. It's an endless well of ideas. And we have a lot of marketers listen to the show as well. And unfortunately, so many of the marketers, Timbo, are restricted in their access to existing customers. And often, because we're talking B2B as well, the sales team are really protective over that relationship with the customer. Get over it. Which is, yeah, it's such a shame, Timbo, because often when sales are having that conversation with the customer, they're not thinking about how can I help them? Or even if they are asking questions about what's bothering them, they're just thinking about it with the lens of like, how can I sell more to you? Rather than like a, how can I help you? Short term, limited thinking. If I owned a business, if you were talking about a business that I owned like that, I'd be furious. I'd, be, I'd, be, <laughs> yeah. I'd, just, I'd be, just be really disappointed because I've worked in corporate for a long time, George, and I don't do silos now that it's my business. You're all in it together or get out. Like, it's just, you want to, if you want to, the business grows, everyone's going to benefit. Protect your own turf, one-way street. I love that approach, Tim. But look, I hope things are changing. I like... This is why when we really got into B2B, we just thought, God, people need to hear about Timbo's helpful mindset. Like we need this. 
not just in the marketing team, but we needed to spread across like the company as a whole because there is such a clear division between marketing and sales and the end result is just never a good one mm. for the customer. No, never. Timbo, for the smaller businesses who are listening to this and the marketers, there's often just one in-house marketer in a business listening to this and they're thinking, Timbo, we can't focus on being helpful. We don't have time. We need customers. We need revenue now. What do you say to those businesses? My wish for anyone involved in marketing a business, George, is that it becomes a hobby, right? When something's a hobby, you will find the time for it, the energy for it, the money for it, and you will put it in your diary as a regular recurring event because it should be. Just as you visit your solicitor, your accountant, your bookkeeper, your real estate agent, make marketing a hobby and get it in there, right? Because otherwise it just becomes an expense and an annoyance. First of all, respect marketing. Realize how important it is. And then spend the rest of your time slowly integrating helpful into all the push marketing that you're doing. I don't expect you to embrace it straight away. You need to feel what it's like to be helpful. You need to see a result. The thing with being helpful is that it is a long game. You're not going to create a podcast episode today or a blog post, or you're, going to, you're not going to write a book today and launch it tomorrow and get inquiry like that. You might get a, the phone might ring, but that would be on the off chance. It is a long game and you've just got to lean into it. That The salesperson listening to this is going, well, good luck with that. I'm going to run some more Facebook <laughs> ads, but you should be doing both. So as a place to start, and I think it's a really fun exercise to do, if you want to start, you have the ability to control this part of the marketing and the business that you work for, is to go and identify every single question you have ever been asked by a client or a prospect. And just write them down. As of now, open up the Notes app on your smartphone and use that, create a file of frequently asked questions. Now this is much bigger than frequently asked questions, but just call the file that. Write down every question you've ever been asked. When you think you've run out, go and ask other people in the business. When you think you've, that's run out, go to Google and start typing in some searches that people would typically type in when searching for a business or a product that you sell and have a look at what the other related searches are. And then go about answering each of those questions one by one. So what I mean by that and basically what I'm getting to, George, is I'd like to see on a business's website a knowledge center or a learning hub. I don't care what you call it. It's bigger than an FAQ section. And on that, in that knowledge center, every single question you've ever been asked will be listed. And then if I click on one of those questions, I'll be taken off to a page that is dedicated to answering that question in a very rich, detailed way. For example, there's a company in the States called River Pools. They're in Phoenix, Arizona, and they're a very large installer of fiberglass in-ground pools. In fact, they're the biggest installer of fiberglass in-ground pools in North America. And they do exactly this. So there's a question, the most common question they get asked is how much does a fiberglass in-ground pool cost? And they get asked that every day, multiple times. And they answer that every day, multiple times, just like all businesses do. We're answering the same questions and the answers are going out into the ether unless we take the time to capture that answer. And so for example, if you go to the Riverpool website, you'll see a page that says, how much does a fiberglass in ground pool cost? There's a video from the owner. There is copy. There is graphs and pictures. There's links to other pages on the Riverpool website. That's how the web is formed. And as a result, First of all, great SEO, 
Google love it. So if someone types in North America, how much does a fiberglass in-ground pool cost? Guess who's coming up number one organically <laughs> on Google? And the second part of that is the one-on-one. So that's mass marketing. The one-on-one nature of what I just explained is also incredibly powerful because next time someone calls River Pools and says, how much does a fiberglass in-ground pool cost? The person at River Pools will answer that question face-to-face or on the phone. But at the end, they'll say, hey, listen, can I, give you a, can I email you a link to a page on our website that goes into even greater detail in answering that question? They're going to think you're a rock star. They're going to think, look at the trouble this business has gone to. So as a way of launching a helpful marketing mindset, that is a great place to start. Just identify every single question you've ever been asked and go about answering them. Such a great place to start. And I do love that mindset of treat it as a hobby. For so many of our marketers, even though marketing is their job, they're actually spending so much of their day just doing whatever sales asks them to do. And they don't get to dedicate time to that helpful marketing. We really try and encourage them to try and dedicate 15, 20% of their time into doing helpful marketing to just chip away at it. Because that's a reality. Like is that they can't, spend 100% of their time doing helpful marketing because the business has needs right now. No, they can't, but they can start to... The opposite of it... So I used to be the marketing manager at a large travel agency, large national travel agency. We won't name them, George, but we know who that is. (laughs) You only need to read my book to find out. And this is almost 20 years ago. So the ability to create helpful marketing, it was a lot more expensive back then because the phones and the cameras and the, the microphone, they weren't as good. But... My job as the marketing manager for this large national travel agency was to generate inquiry for the stores. And I got paid on, my KPIs were inquiry and profit, okay? So basically, I was basically an advertising manager. I'd run ads in the paper. I'd craft up these sneaky specials, you know, 10 free flights to Bali and the phones would go nuts. I'd get paid well. And once the 10 (laughs) flights were gone, which was like five seconds... I'm left with 500 travel agents going, thanks for that. Now I've got 100 disappointed customers who missed out on the 10 free fares, right? And I'm like, sorry, guys, I get paid on inquiry. If that was today, I'd still be running those advertising campaigns. But imagine the great helpful content that I could be creating for that travel agency network. Travel such a sexy product to sell. And there are so many questions and it's a high involvement purchase decision. So whilst running all that advertising and generating what is almost false inquiry, I could be building this incredible portfolio of travel knowledge that over time, customers of of this travel brand would just love and they wouldn't go anywhere else because you're just being so insanely helpful. And that'll serve the business for well after you're no longer there, Timbo. The effects are there for a very long time. long time. Tim, but that's a great example, I think, of like how to be helpful. I was going to ask you what your favorite example of helpful mm. content was, but I think you already gave us a great one in the River pool. Pools, yeah. yeah, River Pools. I thought that was fantastic. For our listeners, Timbo, what legwork do the listeners need to do at their end before they can truly be helpful to their dream customers? So you mentioned like really deeply understanding your customers. What else do you need to do or can you elaborate on how you deeply understand those customers before you go about creating that helpful content. Get out there and speak to them. So I worked in a very large advertising agency in my early days and there were some 
heavy hitters both on the agency side and the client side. Heavy hitters in terms of the marketing world in Australia. There's one fellow by the name of Kevin Luscombe who is the godfather of advertising in Australia, or one of. And Kevin, despite the fact that he had the corner mahogany office and was earning an absolute fortune <laughs> and knew his stuff intimately, only dealt with the big CEOs and CMOs in Australia. He left, the agency I was working for was Cleminger's, and he left Cleminger's after a period of time and went and started a business called Growth Solutions. And Growth Solutions would only deal like with the top CEOs and the top CMOs in Australia, mainly in the FMCG space, the fast-moving consumer goods space. Now, these heavy hitters are used to going to fancy conferences in fancy boardrooms in fancy hotels, and that's where they do their learning, right? Kevin, when they signed up to Kevin's Growth Solutions package, the very first thing he would do would march them down to the nearest supermarket and stand in the aisle where their product was sold and ask them to just be in their jeans and T-shirt, not in a suit, <laughs> ask them to just simply watch people buy in their category. Stand back and watch the person. Oh, she's reaching up there. Oh, he's reaching down there. They grabbed that one and looked at the package but put it back and grabbed that one. After a while, then Kevin would encourage them to go up and ask, excuse me, this is going to sound weird, but I'm actually the boss of that company. <laughs> and, I've, and I was watching you buy that shopping liquid. Do you mind if I ask why you bought the Palm Olive over the morning fresh? To me, this seems very obvious. It might be a dent to the ego for the high-paid marketing executive to have to go down to the supermarket where they sell their product. But what greater way of understanding. You get to see their actions and you get to hear their words and you really need to listen. Listen to the emotion they use in their voice. Is there hate? Is there love? Is there confusion? So talking about getting to know your customers intimately, there is no better way than actually having a chat to them. That is such a cool example. Mm. I love that they do that. And yeah, everyone just has to speak to their customers, right? Marketers need to do it. I've seen people say that, you know, engineering teams need to, the CEO needs to, everyone in the company really needs to have that connection to the customer. And my fellow I mentioned earlier, Jay Bear, who's a bit of a marketing favorite of mine, also wrote another book called Hug Your Haters. And it's it's a great book. It's on my shelf as well. There you go. Like, (laughs) it, it says what it does on the pack, like... We can learn so much from those who, hate's a big word, but who we've pissed off, who don't like what we do, who are looking for alternatives. Instead of letting them go and swallow your pride and go and give them a hug and ask, what could we have done better? <laughs> Apologize. Because they're your biggest learnings, not some $50,000 research report that some third-party market research agency puts together. That might be helpful, but there's nothing beats... Being human. It just comes back to being human. Go and have a chat. Oh, Timbo, because I was on the performance side of marketing for so long, I never got to speak to customers. I'd never spoken to one before. And I used to dive into analytics platforms like Google Analytics and I'd analyze the data. And I'd essentially, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was just making up stories and making up theories about why people were doing this and that and why they preferred one product to another. Mm. And now I realize, my God, if I just got five of our best customers and had a 20, 30 minute chat with them, I would have actually known I didn't have to guess. Yeah. I'll give an example of that. It's a bit of a weird one, but it's an interview I did earlier today with a fellow who owned and sold a very large national bespoke coffee brand. 
And the premise of the interview was, I was going to interview him about his story because it's quite an interesting one, but I thought, you know what? I want to interview him about what would it take to open a successful cafe in 2023. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through all location, marketing, branding, product, menu, start going through all these things. And we just broke them down and went through. My very first question was around mindset and what mindset do you have to have in order to start a cafe? Because my belief is that many people start cafes because they get a payout from their corporate job and they think it's a lifestyle decision. And that's where my head was at. Not that I'm looking at starting a cafe, but every now and then it goes through my mind. Yeah. And he said, okay, do you love people? That was his first question back to me. What mindset do I have to have? you got to love people. I said, yeah, I don't mind people. Sometimes I can take them or leave them, but generally I like people. <laughs> he said, let me tell you. And I go to a cafe every day. We Most of us do to get our coffee or whatever it may be. And I look at these cafes and I think, geez, you've done well. That could be a fun business. He said, it is the most fickle. And this is the insight he gave me which if I hadn't have asked him and hadn't had this conversation, the rookie might have gone and opened up a cafe. He said, but it's the most fickle business. For $4.50, you can piss someone off if you get their coffee order wrong within a, within an inch of its life. He said, it's a ridiculous <laughs> business. He goes, he's, he's had two occasions where he's had to call the police because someone was so angry that the latte art wasn't right on the bloody froth. It's like, get over that. But I think my point is, unless you ask these questions... You go ahead and make a decision based on an assumption or just something that, you know, some intuition that is completely wrong. So talking to your customers, asking the hard questions, asking the questions that you think may be dumb. Don't worry. Just ask. Ask away. Terrific advice. Terrific advice. And oh, my God, I can't believe people throwing tantrums over their latte <laughs> art. They got a swan instead of a heart. The human condition. We are an Unbelievable. Creature. Timbo, coming back to the content side of helpful content, and it's really only helpful in our pool marketing if that person who needs it actually gets to see that content. So how can we make sure that our dream customers are able to find and view that helpful content? That's the $64 million question, George. But I think one you've got to market your helpful marketing at the end of one of them. I have a keynote around this actual topic. And at the very end, I give them a four-step process to implement their helpful marketing. The very first step is you've got to be 110% on being helpful because being helpful actually requires you to put your head above the trench, be noticed, and share your knowledge, right? So you want to commit to it. You want to absolutely commit to it. By nature of the fact that you are creating content on an ongoing basis, you are, like, for example, I'm creating a podcast. I put a podcast episode out tomorrow. Last week's gets bumped down one, and the week before gets bumped down. So I'm always going back into my archive, re-sharing old episodes. When I have a coaching client or someone at a conference that says, hey, have you ever done an episode on how to optimize my LinkedIn profile? I'll go... Funnily enough, I have, and then I'll send them that link. So that's a bit of one-on-one stuff. Every now and then I might put together a little sort of summary of a number of episodes. I haven't done that for a while. But the reality is you've just got to keep sharing the helpful marketing that you're creating, both in a one-on-one sense. If you've got, like I interviewed Tom Willis. He's a young bloke in Melbourne who started a business called LawPath, okay? It's the biggest online legal service for small businesses in Australia. He is big on helpful marketing. And he blogs and he does YouTube videos and he does all sorts of content creation. 
He said the most popular blog post he's ever written, and this is a legal business, is can I drive barefoot? Right? <laughs> he says it just pops up all the time. It's had a heap of traffic. So sometimes identifying that, and he didn't realize when he wrote that blog post that it was going to get so much traffic. But if you actively go and identify what is the top question that my, my customers are asking and go and create a blog post or a piece of content that answers that better than anyone else, any other business, then it's going to promote itself, right? It's going to have, it's going to get great Google attention. People are going to share it. People are going to talk about it. And so sometimes your helpful marketing looks after itself. Like this, your podcast, our, both our podcasts, George, are forms of helpful marketing. And as they say, and you would have heard me say, and it just, it's coming home to me to roost more and more, but the best marketing is a great product or service, like full stop. Because what do they say? You can't, um, you can't polish a turd, but you can put glitter on it, right? <laughs> so, you know, you've got a bad product, you'll sell it once, but you won't get repeat customers no matter how good the marketing. So the idea of just, again, identifying the topics and the problems that your customers have and creating really good content that solves it is a great way to promote it. It doesn't hurt to put a, a bit of paid money behind. If you've got a great piece of content, then give it a bit of a, give it a, bit of a push along on, on Facebook or LinkedIn with some paid advertising. That's great advice. It's something that we try and encourage people to do as well is like, hey, stop just using your ads to push like direct response stuff to your dream customers. Like it's not working. They don't trust you yet. They're not ready to buy. No. Put it behind your best pieces of helpful content yes. so you can start forming a relationship with them. So yeah. what I'm hearing from you, Timbo, is really focus on quality over quantity when it comes to Absolutely. helpful at, at marketing start, material. Yes. Yeah, because... Uh Otherwise, it becomes daunting. So when I said earlier, like go and identify every question you've ever been asked, maybe set yourself the goal of answering one of those questions per week in a blog post format that you can then put on your knowledge center. Don't try and do 10 a day. It's not going to happen. But just start to do it one a week. And then you go, oh, this is cool. Don't look at the scoreboard. Don't look to see if it's had any likes, shares, retweets, comments. Not important right now. Let it marinate, let it get a bit of Google juice, and then you'll start to go, oh, hang on, this is actually really working for me, and I'm going to do more of it. Like anything, if you get good feedback, you're going to do more of it, right? It's a great, it's a great approach. It's a great way to start. And look, it might even answer my next question, Timbo. We tell our listeners to go out there, create helpful marketing, but then they just become so immediately intimidated by the competition and what other people are doing out there. Just like when Kevin and I wanted to start our marketing podcast, we foolishly were comparing ourselves to you over 600 episodes. And we just thought, God, we'll never be as good as Timbo. So why would Who anyone cares? even bother listening to us? What would you say to people having those thoughts? People buy from people, number one. So, so many people say to me, geez, it's too late to start a podcast. Or they actually say, it's too late to start a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> Jeff Bezos talks about Amazon as being in its second hour. This is the biggest <laughs> company in the world. And he goes, there's so much to go. And likewise, podcasting is in its early days. People buy from people. So, yeah, I've got a popular marketing podcast, sure. Been doing it for 14 years, but doesn't mean other people can't start. And your evidence of this can't start a marketing podcast for a whole lot of reasons. You, ha If you had it rung me at the start and said, hey, I think you're starting a podcast, but you scare the shit out of me, I'd be like, hey, number one, not everyone likes the way I deliver information, right? Sometimes I can be too flippant. 
other people like a serious approach to it, okay? Well, that's not me. Um, <laughs> some people buy into the personality of someone. Some people, for whatever reason, they're going to go, no, I like the way that information's delivered over there versus over here, despite the fact that it's very similar information. So I think you've got to really honour that if you are thinking of starting some helpful marketing and creating content around that, is that people are going to be buying from you, not from the actual podcast or whatever it may be itself. The other part of that is that, you know, there is no shortage of content because I saw this crazy stat the other day, George. There are 700 hours of video uploaded to YouTube every minute of the day, 700 hours. So there's another reason not to create content, but that's flawed. If that's what you're going to, oh, nah, nah. oh, I'm not going to do any more YouTube. I'm not going to YouTube. Too much footage going up already. It's not the point. Don't look at your competition. Don't look at what's happening. Focus on what you're good at and lean into that and own that and let people decide. But don't not do it because you think it's been done before. Because if we buy into that, nothing's going to get created. Eh? <laughs> what do they say? A good idea has a thousand fathers. A bad idea is an orphan. I like that. That's very good. And look, the barrier to entry has never been lower. And like we know, we just say to our listeners, like, get out there, just get started. As you said, Timbo, don't worry about the competition so much. Focus on what makes you unique and you'll find your tribe. You know, you if will. you serve that tribe and they'll stick with you. Yeah, what's Seth Godin saying? Every business needs a thousand a thousand raving fans, not even customers, just raving fans. People yeah. who just talk about you. Even a thousand seems a lot to me. A handful of people who really love you, be happy to polarize a certain group of people, you know, and and lean into that niche that you're creating and just be super and be the most helpful in that Timbo, I want to scratch my own itch now. Look, you're at well over 600 episodes on the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. What's your secret to the longevity that you've had in this game? Mm, It's an interesting question, George. So uh, first to market, I can't rely on that anymore because it's not important because it's 14 years old this year. But that gave me a really good kick along. And for the first number of years... I ranked super highly in iTunes and the various podcast apps. And then supply became a problem. <laughs> every, every, every man and his dog was doing a podcast. For the first 80 episodes, we had some very instant success, maybe because we were one of the first or the first mark, business marketing podcast. But I also had a, a co-host, Luke. And Luke's still a good mate to this day. And we worked really well together. Luke was everything I wasn't. Luke was this mechanic, I don't mean motor mechanic, but mechanic in his mindset. He loved to get under the hood of, you know, if we, and, and I'm big picture. I was like, if we've got a guest in front of us. I'm like, wow, where'd the idea come from? How'd you get it to market? Did you lie awake at night sweating? And these are all my top line questions, whereas Luke's under the hood. And if the guest says, oh, we ran some Google AdWords, Luke's, oh, who'd you target? What did you spend? And he's wanting to know the nuts and bolts. And between the two of us, it made for actually pretty interesting listening because sometimes I'd get pissed off with him. Sometimes they'd get pissed off with me. But at the end of the day, we got the knowledge to the listener that, that we wanted to get to them. So the early success came from that. I pride myself on having found a sweet spot And we've all got to find a sweet spot, George. And my sweet spot is I can't educate 100% of the time, despite the fact that my podcast is about educating small business owners around marketing. And I can't entertain 100% of the time because I'm not a stand-up comedian, despite the fact that I've got a fair few dad jokes that personally I think (laughs) rock. 
<laughs> but that sweet spot in the middle between entertaining and educating has done me well, okay? Because I can deliver the information in an interesting and engaging way and don't, t- don't take it too seriously because it's marketing, mate. It's marketing, right? Consistency is another reason for my success. I think you've just got to set an expectation with your audience. My expectation that I set is that I'll put an episode out every Tuesday, of every month, of every week, of every month, of every year, which I do. The quality of my guests, and I don't mean big names, but I really pride myself in tomorrow at Fleetwood Max Manager will be here and we'll have a talk about the business of music. Last week, I had a butcher from Aubrey Wodonga on the show, who happened to be a bit of a rock star on TikTok, but at the end of the day, he's just got a butcher shop and a farm in Aubrey Wodonga. So the quality of my guests, though, comes down to the fact that they got great stuff to share and they share it in a really good way. I do a pre-interview with all my guests and establish, can they talk? Are they interesting? Are they hard work? Um, and just make sure that, because, you know, audio is a tough medium and you've got to pull got to pull a bit of a performance out of your guests every now and then. There's some th- does that help you along? Does that scratch your itch a little bit? Or- it, it definitely does. It really speaks like to myself and my business partner, Kevin, a lot, I think. We sat down when we wanted to do the podcast. We already knew what we were going to say. We said that we wanted to share the playbook that we wish we had when we got into B2B marketing. And we decided that it would roughly take us 100 episodes to get it all out. And we wanted to share it step by step. So then people could follow from episode one to 100 and have the whole yeah, journey. Well. And we realized that to do that in a reasonable time frame, we'd have to do it every Monday. And so far, we're 77, 78 episodes in, and we've stuck to it. Awesome. And I think, honestly, Timbo, if it was just me, I know I would have made excuses. And so just having that partner to keep you accountable to that process, I think, yep. was really important. Yeah, that's very true. I miss having a co-host, uh, but I haven't had one for 500 and, or 600, whatever many episodes. So get used to it. But yeah, that, it, they hold you accountable. And what I really love about your podcast, Timbo, is doesn't matter, as he said, like whether it's a big business owner, small business owner, I think you do so well to like elicit the story out of that person and you get so much emotion and feeling out of them Good. that there's always a great business and marketing lesson, but it's just a great story that sticks with you mm. anyway. Mm. Storytelling is probably something that we'd like to work a little more into our own podcast. I think particularly with the barrier to entry becoming lower and lower, things like AI being able to create a lot more how-to content that storytelling is what sets us apart from the machines and the So if you want to add story, George, to your podcast and tell me if I'm telling you how to suck eggs, but it's relatively simple in that you're already making a point. You're already making a number of points in each episode. Whatever that, if you've got an episode on Google AdWords, there's three four five points you want to get across during the course of that episode if you can support each of those points with a story then you're done if you're talking about yeah. oh the time of day is really important for running those ad words and then you find a story where time of day was really critical and it might be in your personal life or it might be a campaign you worked on for a client where you got it wrong or right but just finding those little stories and people anyone listening oh i don't have a whole lot of stories you do you absolutely do. You've got a story for everything. You just need to sit back and reflect on it. And identify, I do the work now and identify those 10 or 12 stories that you really love to tell and that you know can make a difference to your customer's life. 
I'm going to absolutely take that on board and we'll be doing it from the next episode. I promise you, Timbo, (laughs) we will be. Timbo, you've been so generous with your time. As you would say, this episode has been absolutely jam-packed with (laughs) G-O-L-D. Marketing G-O-L-D. Marketing G-O-L-D. And look, I've seen firsthand how your helpful approach to marketing really works. Thank you so much for sharing it with us, for making us all better marketers, and more importantly, I think, better people in the process. George, Um, thank you, brother. Thank you for allowing me to be the wind beneath your wings, and may you pass that on to be the wind beneath some other young bloke's wings in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Timbo, for our listeners, where would you like to direct people? I would love them to go to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com and if they feel inspired to, subscribe to my podcast and join a little membership group that I've started where I continue to add weekly doses of marketing inspiration. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Timbo. Listeners, really encourage you to head there. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. I've been inside Timbo's communities before. They're absolutely so valuable. Really encourage you to go and check them out. There'll be plenty in it for you. Timbo, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, George. Wow, George, what an amazing milestone and achievement for us this interview and episode has been. Timbo is so influential in our journey. Listeners, I'm sure you got that from the conversation. And in fact, he's been influential both to us as marketers and in the podcast world. Yes, Kev, I was so excited when he returned my email when I asked him to come on the show. And I'm so glad that we made the effort to be helpful, make a point of contact with him like a few years ago, hoping it would come around one day. And we were literally just trying to thank him for being so helpful to us and to have him come around for it to come full circle. It's been a very cool experience for us. It was so generous of him to share some of his own goal with us. And he's really living this helpful mindset. He definitely is. He's still that symbolic, helpful person that we look to a lot of the times when we get down into the weeds and we need a bit of a guiding post. So we look to Timbo amongst many other very helpful people in the industry. But thank you, Timbo, for always giving us that inspiration. And listeners, again, we love these key quotes from Timbo that we hope that you will take away from this episode. The first is, the whole B2B world needs a bit of marketing love. And he likes to refer to it as P2P people to people because it doesn't really matter who you're dealing with what you're dealing with at the end of the day they're humans at the other end and kev related to that he also said understand that person and what problems they have and go about solving them well listeners that's that one probably sounds pretty familiar but this next one is also very good someone has to be the most helpful person in your industry and it might as well be you So that's a really good one to give yourself permission to be the helpful expert and to get started. He also said that having that helpful mindset actually makes business more enjoyable. So we talked about that at the beginning of the episode and we still think that rings very true. And I also love, Kev, how Timbo talks about marketing as if it's a hobby and he says that you should make it your hobby because when something's a hobby, you actually love it and you want to do it and you're going to keep it up and it's not going to be an annoyance and it's not going to be just an expense for your business. So view it as a hobby and that's a great way to do really helpful marketing that you actually stick to. The next one is there's no better way to be helpful or get ready to be helpful than actually talking to your customers and getting to know them. So very much in the same vein as understanding problems, you have to talk to your customers in order to get that understanding. And he also said that 
you should focus on quality over quantity, particularly at the start, because as we mentioned before, it does get overwhelming when you first get started. It seems like you have to do a million one things at the same time. But as Timbo says, focus on quality over quantity and you'll slowly build that quantity over time. The important thing is you're moving in the right direction with the quality of your content. And listeners, just get started. Go back and listen to episode one of Timbo's podcast and listen to episode 600 and whatever that he just did and look at the difference between them. He wasn't an expert at podcasting before he began. Go and listen to episode one of what Kevin and I do here at the B2B Playbook. Hopefully we've become better than that, Kevin. (laughs) You get better and better through those repetitions. And the most important thing is to take that first step and just get started. All right, listeners, go and find Timbo on smallbusinessbigmarketing.com and check out his podcast and his members group. As always, Kevin and I are absolutely stoked that more and more of you are joining us every Monday by tuning in to the B2B Playbook podcast or checking out our YouTube channel. If we can ask just one thing, it would be to please pass the show into someone who would find it helpful. We really, really appreciate it. It's a huge help to that other person, hopefully. And if you're listening or watching on our YouTube channel, leave us a comment. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. Try not to be too mean if it's really personal. We're okay. If it's, you know what, that's okay. Just say what you feel. We'll respond accordingly. Anyway, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Timbo. Thank you, listeners. Take care and see you next week. Take care, listeners. Thank you, George. Thank you, Timbo. And see you all next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.